everybody. Welcome to Life and Life Only. I'm very happy to have with me today Ricky Green of the University of Kent. Ricky co-authored a paper on conspiracy theories with Karen Douglas, who's a name that some of you may know. And uh, Ricky and I will be having a very friendly discussion about uh, conspiracy theories and uh, what that means. And uh, I've already informed him in advance that I have a different position to him, but uh, it's all good debate. And um, so, Ricky, well, first of all, sorry, welcome to the program. <laughs> How are you doing today? Thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem. I look forward to the discussion. Yep. All right. First of all, so what we need to do, so you wrote this paper. I'm going to get onto that in a second, but we're going to start with mm-hmm. um, something that a lot of people have tried to do, which is define exactly what a conspiracy theory is. So would you like mm-hmm. to just give me your definition? I'll give you mine and we'll see where we meet in the middle somewhere. Yeah, sure. There's like working definitions in, in the literature at the moment. And again, it, even within academia, it's quite hard to define exactly what it is. But conspiracy theories tend to explain the ultimate causes of significant events that happen around the world, whether they're social or political, and then make claims of secret plots by nefarious actors, you know, and that could Mm -hmm. be government actors or not just government, but, you know, think pharmaceutical groups and things like that. So that tends to be what the running definition is of a conspiracy theory in, in the psychological literature anyway. Yeah, there is a definition, uh, something to do with uh, clandestine operations by secret groups. Mm-hmm. And we, we tend mm-hmm. to think of serious events because, of course, have you ever heard of Dr. Dentith? Have you ever come across that name? Yes, he's a researcher yeah. as well, right? Yeah, because he was, on a, he was yeah. on a podcast of a friend of mine, Julian Charles. He's got a really good podcast called The Mind Renewed that I've been on. Dr. Dentith oh. wrote a book called, I think it was called Taking Conspiracy Theories Seriously. And he was jokingly saying, you know, you could say that organizing a birthday party, a surprise birthday party for someone is a conspiracy, you know, mm-hmm, in the literal mm-hmm. in the yeah. literal sense of the word. Yes, yeah, um, very true. My argument that I'd like to put forward today is that the phrase itself has been weaponized. And in fact, I wrote a piece for my blog many years ago, and it came out to about 30 pages. <laughs> I did an audio <laughs> version that was about an hour, and it was talking wow. about the phrase rather than the phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And um I've got quite a few arguments for that, which we'll um, get into. I'm also an English teacher, and I know as well as anyone that defining words is problematic, you know, because you, Collins Dictionary will have a definition, but then the working use of it and the popular use, just to give you an example, anarchy mm-hmm. technically means no government. But of course, yeah. if you ask anyone what anarchy means, it means confusion and chaos. So yeah. the the message being given there sort of implicitly that's almost been weaponized. So the idea that you couldn't have a government necessarily equates to uh, anarchy and confusion. Now, you said to me in one of your emails that you used to be into conspiracy theories. So if you don't mind me asking the question, that kind of makes it sound a bit like it's a disease that you uh, got over. And Mm -hmm. I I just mean this in a very friendly way, but can you tell me um, what changed your belief? And is it an either or? Do you have to be into conspiracy theories or not? Or is there a middle ground? I think there is a middle ground. You know, I wasn't really heavily into them, but it was kind of when I was younger, to be honest, you know, 19, 20. And uh, I was with my friends and we watched, uh, you know, a lot of videos and they were quite entertaining mm-hmm. as well. I think that's sure. that's a thing. That's something that draws people in. Conspiracy theories are quite entertaining. Yes. And uh, I guess I was like kind of entertaining them. Right. But then I did have a level of belief as well. And I'm talking about I don't know if you heard of a video called Zeitgeist. Peter yeah, Joseph. Yeah. 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 So he's got three of them out. So I was, you know, watching them and we'd re- watch them uh you know more than once and it's really intriguing and interesting and um you know i had a 
somewhat of a belief in in some of the theories they're proposing. But it's quite hard to say when I stopped being into conspiracy theories. And and I don't mm. mean it in a sense that it was like a you know a disease that I've kind of got rid of. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it, to be honest, like it could have been, um, you know, the way that I was thinking about the world because of these videos, it could have been quite bad for me. I could have been very pessimistic about the world mm. and, and things like that. So I'm kind of happy that I don't, that I'm not kind of too into this, this school of thought anymore. How it stopped, I can't really pinpoint a time in my life when I suddenly went, you know what, I don't really believe this stuff anymore. One thing that I will say is that I, I started university quite late, so I'm doing a PhD now and I'm, and I'm just at the end of it. You know, when I say late, I mean just a little bit later. And yeah, so it's the age of 24. And um, I think it was like through that process of learning how to think critically that I just started to see that the, um, I mean, if you know, yeah, if you look back on Zyke, especially the first videos, a lot of the claims are actually verifiably false. Maybe not everything, but there is a lot of false claims in there. Mm. And even if it has a few truthful bits in there, it kind of is ruined by the fact that it allowed lots of falsities to be portrayed in, in the Zeitgeist film. So mm. I kind of just look at my sources a lot more critically now. And most conspiracy type of information I come across, I look at it critically and, mm. and, and I come to a conclusion that, you know, I can't believe in this this sort of stuff anymore, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, I understand. But again, all I'd say is that but well, let me give you my position. And I was, I was really happy. I was listening to a podcast recently. He said, I don't trust people who think there are no conspiracies. And I don't mm. trust people who think everything's a conspiracy. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I'm somewhere in the middle, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, let me ask a question. So when you were watching Zeitgeist, would it be fair to say that at that time you weren't actually researching it? And I, I agree with you. It's glamorous. You know, I mean, I, I know yeah. Alex Jones is a complete clown now, but in 2008, <laughs> Alex Jones was actually disseminating some fairly good information. If you could get underneath mm-hmm. the kind of WWF style, mm-hmm. would you say at that time that you perhaps weren't researching things, you were kind of watching documentaries and to begin with? Yes. But actually there was a time that uh, shortly just before I left. So I was working in retail after school. And one store that I moved to, and this is after I've gotten into Zeitgeist, this other manager that I was working with, he was heavy into conspiracy theories and it actually dominated his life. He had files and folders on countries and what they what, what they were doing and stuff like yeah. that. He was very heavy into it. So that actually, you know, I, I myself wasn't doing research, but I actually befriended someone who was very heavy into it and it was feeding me a lot of his own research. Got it. Yes. Yeah, so to answer your question, I haven't didn't, wasn't really doing my own research at that time, but I was getting heavy into it in a point where it wasn't just the videos. I was speaking with someone else who was doing their research and I was talking to them about it and, and things like that. And yeah, that's probably when it was, was quite heavy, Where when I was kind of into the conspiracy theories back then. But, um, but yeah, I hadn't really ever done my own research. It's more just watching these videos and, and speaking to friends and things. Right. Totally understand. Yeah. All I'd say about Zeitgeist is that, as you said, there's three films I think the third film, do you remember Zeitgeist Moving Forward? I mean, that yeah. seems very well sourced. And it I seems like, like that one. Yeah, there's a lot of doctors yeah. and psychologists. Actually, very briefly met Peter Joseph at an event in London. And he has uh-huh. said that he's somewhat embarrassed by some of the first film. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> obviously the, religious, the religious stuff, I mean, whether that's true or not, you are just opening a hornet's nest. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the religious stuff, I honestly don't know because I'm not particularly religious. 9-11, we could talk about it later if you want. But the stuff about, for example, the Federal Reserve, I mean, it is absolutely factually accurate that the Federal Reserve was set up at a secret meeting in Georgia, Jekyll Island in Georgia. 
Mm-hmm. So all I really want to do today is just to discuss with you the idea that there is a middle ground and that there are conspiracy researchers who are sometimes very esteemed, you know, and they spend uh, five or 10 years researching a book. So I, I think what I'm trying to get at today really is when are you quote unquote diagnosed a conspiracy theorist? So if you're a person that had lots of depressive episodes, for example, there'd be a point where a doctor would diagnose you with depression. So I know this sounds facetious, but it's honest, an honest question. At what point does someone get tagged as a conspiracy theorist? Is it to do with a general mindset or is it that they believe in more than five? It's honestly not a jokey question. I mean it sincerely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an interesting question. I would say that, I mean, a diagnosis would come, I guess, if just you know, taking it away from conspiracy belief at the moment, but someone would be diagnosed if there's an issue going on and, it, and it's going to affect their life right and that's when i would say that you know someone is a, a conspiracy theorist to the point where it could be problematic mm-hmm. you know because there's relationships that are being lost you know within families you know especially with QAnon, you know yes. people who are, are drawn into that if it affects their work you know if it gives them a much more pessimistic view on the world and if it makes them feel anxious you know about the world and things like that mm-hmm. when conspiracy theories get a hold of you like that that's when mm-hmm. i would say that's they're a conspiracy theorist but i mean any, anyone can be a, a conspiracy theorist right mm. like yeah, if we have an idea of something that we think is going on doesn't necessarily yeah. have to be about 9-11 or the economic system and things like that in fact there's there's an evolutionary argument as well for like being conspiracy theorizing like if we don't think like this then we aren't prepared for the things that could come right so it's actually yeah. it's an adaptive that's what some researchers are arguing at the moment is that we all have this in us to be looking out for bad things that are going to happen. Because if we're not, then, uh, well, bad things are going to happen to us. Oh, I mean, I couldn't yes. agree more. I mean, we've spent the, the majority of our of human life has been in tribes. Mm. And if you have a tribe right next door to you and you don't theorize that they're probably conspiring to kill you, then you're, you're crazy. You'll be dead in five minutes. Yeah. You know, you've got to at least be yeah, yeah. open to that idea. So um, yeah, I can see your point of view perfectly that there are there are people out there and i've met them and as you said often young people young and impressionable let's say that can happen for sure all i'm saying is that i think the definition itself is problematic and mm-hmm. there's a tendency to lump lots of people together now i wanted to uh, i was researching a little bit of uh, karen douglas and um, i don't want to make the presumption that your views concur with hers i mean you were involved in this paper with her but i was slightly aghast watching something there was a conspiracy theories conference. Again, it was 2012. It's a long time ago. I don't know if her view is nuanced, but she kind of says at the beginning of her talk, I'm not actually interested in whether these are true or not, which was something of a red flag. And then she, she put two pictures of Paul McCartney. Do you know the Paul McCartney conspiracy theory? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a huge beat. I've actually got podcasts about John Lennon. So <laughs> this is my uh-huh. wheelhouse. <laughs> Uh, so there's a theory that he died in 1966. Again, I don't mm-hmm. really, I've never really met anyone who actually believes that. But she mm-hmm. she put two pictures on the board of Paul McCartney and said, you know, I don't know if conspiracy theories are true, but that looks like Paul McCartney. But what she's doing, you see, is she's using that one theory as a kind of a straw man, as a sort of blanket phrase. And QAnon, yeah. you know, again, I don't believe in QAnon. And you're, you're absolutely right. There are people who are impressionable people who will be taken in by that. I just think there's so much more to this. Yeah, okay. the, the sort of traditional straw men that are generally trotted out is Flat Earth, Elvis, you know, AIDS mm-hmm. was created in a factory. COVID-19 mm-hmm. was created in a factory. 
And another thing, uh, this is something from your paper, it's got tagged to the right wing. Now, what do you actually understand by right wing or right wing authoritarian? Because the actual origin of right wing is just that in the French parliament, if you sat to the right of Louis XVI, Mm -hmm. you know, you were pro-authority, let's say, pro the Mm -hmm. king. And if you sat to the left, you wanted to reduce the powers of the king. So what's your understanding of right wing in terms of how it was used in your paper? Well, in that paper, it was um, it was just used to show that because the main thing in that paper I was looking at uh, attachment styles, yeah. and um, what we did in that paper was we well right 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 wing authoritarianism has been shown in previous research to predict higher conspiracy beliefs. So mm. the reason it was included in that study is to show that attachment anxiety predicts these beliefs as well over and above other known predictors so it was kind of like put in there to show that this new variable that we're looking at attachment anxiety stands out above you know right-wing authoritarianism but rwa that right-wing authoritarianism it's Mm. not basically conspiracy theories aren't just for people on the right you know it Mm. is we, we know that now and and well it's for people on the left even in the middle but there is research that does show that conspiracy beliefs whether they're believers on the left or the right mm. it tends to be if they're extre- on the extreme left and right that's when you tend to have higher conspiracy belief you know basically the right-wing conspiracy beliefs might be that the left are, are doing stuff against the right you know it's just these extreme views basically um, mm. and i think that's what the right wing and, and even the left wing element of conspiracy theorizing is about you know it's about the the extreme of these views uh, and they believe that the other group the other side is conspiring against them. Yeah, so it's to do with extremists, really. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Um, I'm only asking that because we get so used to hearing left and right, you know, and people will mm. say the left and the right, but it's actually very difficult to get a precise definition. That's the only reason I mentioned it, because in in essentially in mainstream media, for example, the climate change issue, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not a climate change denier. You know, I've looked at the issue. It seems like an incredibly detailed and complex issue. But Mm -hmm. if you notice, it's been allied that the right believes that climate change isn't real and the left believes that it is. Yeah, that's one of these left and right divides. Yeah, conspiracy. Yeah. Do you not think that that's that's a kind of a divide and conquer strategy? What do you think? No, I think that's just, it's just, there is evidence for that. Like there is data that shows that, People who report that they are more right wing than left wing, oh, okay, okay. they score higher on on these beliefs. There are left wing people who who believe that climate change is false. It's not um uh, it's not all. right, like yeah 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It, mm. But it tends to be that the more right wing you are, the the more likely it is going by the data. And there's lots of data that shows this as well mm. that people who score say that they're right wing are more likely to believe that climate change is false whereas people left-wing um, tend to believe that it's real. All right, yeah. Again, I'm, I'm not questioning your research. I'm questioning the actual, mm. the word itself, because it's, again, if you, if, you are, if you go to somebody in the street and you say, oh, are you a liberal or conservative? They might say, yeah. oh, I'm a liberal. My argument is that perhaps people don't actually know, which I know sounds awfully patronising, but again, you know, I've worked with activist groups and we used to stand on Oxford Street and we had a sign saying, we have important questions see me kind of thing, making a joke of, you know, mm-hmm. at school when the headmaster says, see me. Mm-hmm. So we did that. And, and we would ask people about that. And we would say, you know, do you identify as liberal conservative? And they'd say, oh, liberal. What does that actually mean? And I'm not sure people actually know. And I don't Mate. blame them because I don't know really, you know, things that I don't think you have to be paranoid 
to believe in divide and conquer because I think people have been doing that for thousands of years. Uh huh. Well, just on your point um, that people don't really know. I mean, you're mm. not far off the truth there. When I was doing my masters, we was doing uh, so it's like political psychology that I was doing, mm -hmm. and um, there were some modules that were just pure political science, and it was on public opinion, mm. and it was about how people don't really have an opinion sometimes you know and they exactly. don't and you're right in saying that you know if you ask someone whether they're left or right and then asking what does that mean <laughs> what does it mean yeah. To, yeah they might they not be able know. to articulate it to you know. but you know it's not just as simple as being left and right there's something else we know now there's like economic left and right and there's social left and right and actually if mm. you were to ask people how do you feel about this issue how do you feel about this issue then you probably get to where they are actually politically right yeah, and, and yeah. then they might be surprised. They might be like, "Oh, okay, I am left socially, but I'm actually right economically." You know, something like that. Yeah. So, what what, what do you mean that, about the dividing code? Do you think that like, media use this left and right issue then, or? or I mean, absolutely. I mean, th that's been written about in uh, philosophy books for years. I mean, I mean, Machiavelli's only five, six hundred years ago. Divide and conquer is a strategy where the powerful will find ways to divide the masses, so to speak and get them fighting amongst themselves. And God, I'm so hesitant to mention David Icke because uh, <laughs> the listeners were probably going, lizards, reptilians. Yeah. David Icke said something very interesting. He said, we've outsheeped the sheep because sheep need a sheepdog to keep them in line. We keep each other in line. And the point he made is that if you try and be different in our society, it's not the government you've got to worry about. It's all the people in your office at work. Mm -hmm. This tends to happen because I've seen it myself. Divide and conquer, essentially, if you take Brexit, you know, I'm not going to ask your views on Brexit. Again, very, very complex issue. You could probably mm -hmm. spend five years studying it. But mm -hmm. what happened was that two camps emerged and then you get this playing on the tribal instincts of people. You get uh, people fighting against each other. So that's what I mean by divide and rule. I think now, that's just politics though, right? That's just politics. Yeah, but it's politics using divide and rule to keep things yeah. more or less the same. That's my argument. Yeah, okay. Because I've heard people having discussions and someone pointed out politicians had conspired to get some paper through. And they said, yeah, but that's yeah. just politicians lying or that's yeah. just corruption. So I think what it comes down to in the end, probably the conclusion we're going to reach today is that it's very difficult to actually define it. Yeah, because I was going to say to you, yeah, the, where I'm at now, because um, as I said, I used to entertain them mm. years ago when I was a bit younger, and these ideas have drifted away. Well, I have come to a bit of a realization that a lot of the things, you know, especially in economic terms and, and how the world works is, you know, mm. there are meetings behind closed doors, you know, yeah. by business yeah. leaders, CEOs, politicians, and they're trying to make change in, in how they want their business to be, how they want the, their country to be, how they want the world to be, right? Mm. And these things do happen. And mm. I just think that conspiracy theories are mistaken as that, right? And that, mm. that's what I meant as it's just politics, you know? Mm. Like, I totally understand. If I was the leader of one of the two leave or, or remain sides, then I would be sitting with, you know, my other advisors, politicians, and saying, right, how can we get all of the people to vote in this way? And yeah. I think mm. that's just politics. Right? It's not a propaganda. But as you said, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's not good, like, the things that come about, you know, like the culture wars that happen because of Brexit and things like that. You know, you, there is some dividing going on and ultimately some conquering when one side wins. But, yeah, I think as you're getting to the main point, it is hard to define when is yeah. it a conspiracy theory and Absolutely. is it just normal life? <laughs> yeah, because I, I, had, I had a weird experience. 
I used to work in an office and I was, I'm sure I was tagged as the office weirdo. And uh, you, you know, when a new person joins an office or, you know, it could be an academic situation mm-hmm. and they introduce mm-hmm. you to everyone. Yeah. They probably were just mm-hmm. saying, Oh, this is Anthony. Yeah. That weirdo, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so I used to argue with someone who used to laugh. This is a very common thing as well. Oh, everything's a conspiracy. You know, uh, we were supposed to meet at a coffee shop and it happened to be closed. And, and he, he'd say, oh, you think that's a conspiracy, you know? But then when I proved something to him, I was absolutely blown away by his response. And he said, yeah, but that's fact. So what he was saying was that if you prove that conspiracy is a fact rather than a theory, then you can still disparage conspiracy theories because what I've proved to him is now a conspiracy fact. Can you see that that's quite a weird yeah but that's that's when the conspiracy theory transitions to you know it, as to what he's saying it's no longer mm. a conspiracy theory like mm. he's quite someone earlier you a friend of yours or something that they don't trust anyone who doesn't believe in any conspiracy theories uh, yeah. and they don't trust anyone that believes every conspiracy theory that's kind of my well, view that's my view no, that, really. that was your view sorry okay I was no no it was up. taken it was taken from a podcast but it kind of chimed oh, okay. with it chimes with me that, that's more yeah, or less yeah, where yeah. i've come to yeah yeah well, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. And I think it, mm. people would be naive to think that conspiracies don't happen. I mean, mm. they do happen. And they've been found out, you know, if you think of uh, Watergate. But then again, it's not seen as a conspiracy theory anymore, right? Exactly. But once upon a time, it was. It was exactly. just a conspiracy theory, like back then, you know, when uh, people were accusing Nixon, I believe it is, of, Nixon, of yeah. the scandal. Mm. You know, there was lots of talk like that's just conspiracy theory. But then it mm. came out that it was actually true. And then it's mm. no longer a conspiracy theory anymore. So mm. there is that. But yeah, that is interesting. And yeah, so, you know, these things do happen. But until they are found out, they are just conspiracy theories, you know. But when they are proven to be fact, then they're no longer a conspiracy theory. It's, yeah, it's the truth. Yeah, it's a big, it's a real semantic kind of uh, puzzle, mm. or not a puzzle, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. a mess, really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I came to this actually quite late in my life. And I'll admit, you know, you're you're absolutely right. I was taken in by Zeitgeist and Alex Jones and David Icke because it's it's glamorous. It gives you a nice feeling that you're mm-hmm. finally getting the truth, you know, because you've been confused mm-hmm. about the world for mm-hmm. so long, or I, I was anyway. But then I, I got through that kind of gung-ho period and I started to think I want to actually research the world. Now, I'm not a full-time researcher, you know, I mean, I have a you know, my work and everything else I do on my podcast and everything, it takes up so much of my time that I don't do as much as I would like. I would love to do this full time for six months to actually try and find out what the world's actually like, because mm-hmm. I don't think I know either. When I work with activist groups, I found on average 10 to 20 percent of them were maybe the people that you are discussing in your paper, that they are, you know, they, they do kind of latch on to anything and they probably are looking for something in their life. You know, mm-hmm. I totally get that. but. I just found the majority of people were pretty damn reasonable. And Mm -hmm. another thing that I have a little bit of a problem with is the idea that conspiracy theories are looking for certainty because I would say conspiracy researchers, they're they're almost the opposite. You know, we all say like, we don't know how the world works. We're trying our damn hardest to find out. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Socrates said, you know, wisdom is knowing what you don't know. And that's really what I've discovered. It's like if you go to, uh, if you went to live in uh, China or Japan, because I used to live in the Far East, mm-hmm. what you find is the more you try and understand the culture, all it does is bring up more questions. My friend has spent 10 years in Japan and he said, I know a little mm-hmm. bit, but essentially I've got more questions than I had when I started. <laughs> if I could just ask you about the paper, like, could you tell us a little bit about the, um, the research method? 
who are your case studies and could you just yeah. tell me how that works yeah sure so um it's cross-sectional research it means basically uh it's a survey that i handed out online with american and british participants so we did that to see if what we found is also replicated in you know a different group of people but around about 300 in participants in each sample in each study and yeah basically they answer a questionnaire and these questionnaires tap into you know what's called like psychological constructs these are things that we i can't get a rule around measure because they're they're in your mind right it's, it's, it's your personality traits basically and one of the best tools that we have at the moment although it's not it's not most ideal like as i said if i could really just measure it with something physical that would be the best but we can't so we have to deal with what we have mm. and that is creating these sets of questions which tap into these different constructs and one of them is belief in conspiracy theories and basically for that one we use this measure uh, this general conspiracy belief scale mm. and uh, it has 15 statements in there that tap into different types of conspiracy theories this one doesn't actually ask specific conspiracy theories but it just mm. asks like you know do you think that governments do um like nefarious uh, things try, yeah, yeah nefarious things you know yeah. it doesn't but actually saying that in the second study we do use specific conspiracy theories as well and we find the same uh, results the other main thing that i was looking at what that paper is based on is attachment styles so we have this is like a type of personality trait that we all have and um but an attachment style is how you approach relationships, how you feel with relationships, family and friends and things like that. And, you know, it might not make sense that why would this be related to conspiracy belief? Well, hopefully it will once I finish yeah, what, what I'm saying. And yeah, basically, sure. majority of people, around about 60, 70 percent in, in some cases, what the data shows is that most of us tend to be secure. We have a secure attachment style, which means that we feel good about ourselves in relationships, mm -hmm. but we also feel good about others. We trust other people. So these are the two elements. Mm -hmm. And if you feel positive about yourself and positive about others, that like they're trusting, then you have a secure attachment style, basically. Got it. Yeah, yeah. And we find that that is not associated with high conspiracy belief. It's also not associated with low conspiracy belief. There's just no relationship. Got it. And yeah. there's another attachment style called avoidant. And that means that you have a negative views of others, but you can have positive views about yourself. So you're fine with yourself, but you just don't like others. So you're, you're kind of avoidant. You don't really want to have relationships with people. You don't Go want on. to get close to people. And then a third detachment style, broad one, which is what I look at, is attachment anxiety. So that means that you actually do have positive views of others, but you have negative views about yourself. So you do want relationships, but you're worried, you know, you just have negative views about yourself. You feel like you're not worthy to have relationships and, and things like that. And people with attachment anxiety, because they don't feel good about themselves, they tend to like, um, basically, as a way of getting attention, you know, or support from significant others, because they do want these relationships, but they just feel like they're not worthy and things like that. But they, one of the uh, strategies that they use to get attention is catastrophizing. They tend to, where it could be pain, stress anything that's going on it seems to be 10 times worse than what it is for people with attachment anxiety dramatizing would be another thing of that i suppose yeah yeah something yeah. like that yeah yeah basically yeah. yeah creating drama yeah, yeah. we've all known yeah, those people yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. yeah and so basically that was my conclusion as to why attachment anxiety is associated with conspiracy belief. 
and we and, and research that I'm doing my PhD, I've been looking into it a lot more now. So this paper was out 2018 and my PhD, I've done about 10 studies now, 10 different studies specifically on that relationship, but also mm. now looking at this other variable, catastrophizing. And we've measured it like stress catastrophizing, pain catastrophizing, social situation catastrophizing. So like, for instance, asking people to read a scenario, like you're doing a talk in front of a lot of people that you don't know and you're starting to think that they are thinking that you're talking a lot of rubbish or something like that. And then we ask them, you know, if you were in that situation, how bad would it be? Mm. And we find that people with attachment anxiety you know, they think the situation is going to be a lot worse, you know, higher than people are secure, etc. And this relates to conspiracy belief, which I found. So yeah. pain catastrophizing, stress and social situations are associated with increased conspiracy belief through this attachment anxiety. So that, that, is, that's the gist of it. Is that people self-identifying as having those attachment styles? Well, self, self-identifying. So the measure of attachment is a psychometrically built so there's a lot of work gone into these measures, like lots of papers on papers before I've used this scale. Mm. It's a psychometric, psychometrically validated scale, basically. And there's 36 statements in there. And, there, and participants are asked whether they agree or disagree, whether, they, whether these statements apply to them or not. And there's 18 that tap into anxious statements and 18 that tap into like avoidant type of statements. And basically how you score on them to will determine your attachment style. So mm. it's not that they are saying I am, I have attachment anxiety. They might not realize that they have attachment anxiety, but how they answer these sets of questions would tell me as best as it can do their attachment style. So yeah. does it, go, it goes from slightly, dis- sorry, strongly disagree to slightly disagree. Is it one of those where you've got? So, right. Yeah, yeah. It's a seven point scale, actually. Oh, so seven it's from point. seven. So from strongly disagree to strongly agree that you know this statement reflects me yeah because yeah. i think those psychometric you know like personality tests they're often uh, derided because they're they're too general of course but there's actually mm. some quite sophisticated ones now i mean it's a different thing to what you were studying but just to say mm. and i always found the trick with filling out those is to try and answer before you've thought about it yeah thank you there's a lot of noise when collecting data like this that we are aware of like you know mm. what you've just said there you know someone could choose at a certain point uh, on the scale but then change their mind and you know what does that mean right like uh, where do they actually sit on that particular statement but you know these things are like accounted for and uh, um, and there's a lots of statistical processes like the the, the statistics uh, software that i use you know there's lots of theory that goes behind all the processes in that hmm. that you know account for all these things and and Basically, like, it, it tells you how confident you can be in your data, you know, and how much noise there is and, and things like that in it. Absolutely. But what I would say is that I've done 10 studies now above that paper that um, we're talking about. So that paper from 2018, I've got another 10 studies and I consistently find these relationships. Attachment anxiety predicts conspiracy belief and so does this tendency to catastrophize. In the 10 studies I've done, it's like 2,600 participants. So I think I've got all together now. Oh, interesting. You don't have to go into specifics of the questions, but do you question them about theories in general? Do you focus on particular ones? Because I think I think if you ask someone what they believed in, I don't know, flat earth, and then ask them about, I don't know, the JFK assassination, obviously you're going to get different answers. Mm-hmm. Are there any particular theories that you focused on, or was it more of a what's your mindset, is it? 
yeah, basically, your uh, the scale that I mentioned earlier, the general conspiracist belief scale, which mm. I'm just bringing up some of the statements now, and I can I can let you. Oh know yeah, please, yeah. Oh yeah, but what, what I would say is in that paper, the one that you read in the 2018 one, we did measure uh, like you know 9/11. Do you believe that 9/11 was an inside job? Do you believe that AIDS was uh, created in a in a factory? Do you believe that climate change isn't real? So we do actually in that paper that you've got there measure actual conspiracy theories mm. but we find the same pattern of results whether we either look at the general statements or whether we look at the specific statements so because of that in all of the studies that i've done now which i'm just going to show you how we've measured it we um basically use this general conspiracy belief scale just bringing up some of the items now yeah so for instance i mean these might sound specific because they they do allude to certain conspiracy theories but they don't actually talk about any specific one so here's one of them here so the government is involved in the murder of innocent citizens and or well-known public figures and keeps this a secret so that's okay. one statement do you want my response <laughs> uh, well, you can yeah <laughs> uh, the government is responsible for the killing of innocent people i'd have to strongly agree with that i'm afraid but that's based on a lot of uh, research yeah to be honest i guess it might also depend on which government you're thinking of yeah right? of course, because of course. i mean there are definitely governments out there that do these things but i guess if we're thinking about the uk maybe i won't go for all of them but i mean unless you're interested then go on just give me that. a couple yeah okay cool the power held by heads of state is second to that of small unknown groups who really control world politics I don't believe in smoky rooms full of 10 people, but I think there's think tanks such as the Council on Foreign Relations and the Trilateral Commission, and that's all fairly well sourced. So I'd have trouble. I wouldn't be able to do the survey. I'd be I'd, have to, I'd be somewhere in the middle, I'm afraid. But Yeah, cool. Well, yeah, so on this scale, just for your listeners and for yourself as well, this is scored on a five-point scale. So there's five times to choose from, and it ranges from definitely not true, probably not true, and in the middle is not sure can't decide and then probably true and then definitely true mm. so that's how it's measured because as you were saying that it does have a range in here so it's not all just political types of uh, statements here and having that range i mean it's yeah it just helps to validate the, the scale in itself yeah. so yeah here's another one evidence of alien contact is being concealed from the public i probably don't have enough interest in it in in that particular yeah. strand you know i do know there's an agency in america that actually collects ufo sightings and mm-hmm. this is about 10 years ago, they reported that they'd had about 200,000 sightings of what could be UFOs. Also, you know, I'm sure you've heard of Stanley Kubrick, the filmmaker. He always mm-hmm. made the point that there's trillions and trillions of stars and planets. And the idea that we know for sure that there's no one living on those is somewhat, I don't know, complacent, perhaps. So mm. uh, I wouldn't be able to do the scale because I, th- I think my, my answers would just I'd probably end up writing 10 pages for each one. So. <laughs> but no. Yeah, I can imagine it, it'd be quite difficult, uh, depending if you have, yeah, if you yeah. have, you know, if you've got a lot of thoughts on, on some of these statements, then um, it might yeah. not be as easy as just saying probably true or, you know, yeah. If I could just make a very general point. You know, we were saying mm. uh, just earlier about people don't actually know what right wing or left wing means. I don't believe there's many people that research things particularly deeply. And uh, you don't have to give me your opinion on that, but we used to ask questions and we'd say, uh, oh, have you ever heard of this? And we'd bring up something. Do you know what the Gulf of Tonkin incident is, for example? You have to remind me. It sounds familiar. What it was is that um, when America had some involvement in Vietnam in the early 60s. I know I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, yeah. it's the Tonkin mm-hmm. Gulf in Vietnam. And again, this was admitted by uh, McNamara. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. There was, a, I think it was the Defence Secretary um, under Kennedy and under Johnson, that they had faked some intelligence that some PT boats, Vietnamese PT boats, had attacked American boats. And that was mm-hmm. their pretext for going into Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, that was proved to be a lie. But I don't think, and I, I wouldn't blame you if you hadn't heard of that, because I, I just think, the average man on the street or woman on the street who will just watch his mainstream news probably has never heard of that, but it's out there. And the thing about it is also people will say, um, oh, people on the internet, but do you know anyone who doesn't use the internet apart from, you know, somebody's granny or a five-year-old child, you know? 99% of people must be using the internet. Yeah, so that's another slight kind of beef I have. Again, because mm. I don't really watch mainstream news and it's not because I think none of it's true. I just think it, it leads people. It's leading the public. Generally speaking, you're, you're right. I think mm. that the uh, there's a lot of people that just aren't bothered about the, these things and they just want to sure. get on with their life, you know. Absolutely. And uh, there's people that don't really catch up with the news or or anything. And um, mm. that comes down to um, what was mentioned earlier when I was in this public opinion module doing political science. Mm. And uh, it was about, you know, how do you sway people if, if you're a politician or if you want to measure public opinion but so many people say they don't, you know, I have no opinion on this. I have no opinion on this because they just mm. aren't researched on it. So it's not wrong to what you're saying. Like, I think, yeah, and because they're just not that bothered necessarily, right? And which yeah. isn't a bad thing. Like, people can lead, lead their lives how, how they want. They don't have to be informed. Sure. Yeah, it's helpful to be informed. But yeah, just on that, I'm glad that you brought it up that that Vietnam false flag kind of what it is, right? Yeah. And I bring that up often because uh, it's understandable why people can get drawn into to these theories because there's kernels of truth in them there's things that have actually happened in in, in the past so watergate's one of them like you know governments do do nefarious things and false flag operations for america at least is something that has been talked about like i don't think it's actually being carried out but there is another one as well i think with cuba that they had basically exactly what you were describing the thing is called uh, operation, operation north or something North-west. yeah, yeah and yeah. It, yeah. yeah it was the basically just the exact same thing right as, mm. as the vietnam thing let's create loads of chaos and stuff like that and we're blaming it on cuba right and yeah they were going to uh, use a drone and then yeah. apparently shoot down a plane and, and blame it on cuba yeah yeah and this is now on record you know and as you said if people do get around to it and they see these things and there's evidence there that for the us as an example has acted in these ways in ways that people you know point finger at america today and say look there's stuff going on right now and i can i totally understand why people can think like that especially if they've done that research and they found them little kernels of truth you know mm. but I, I just say that you know it's, it's hard to know it's really hard to know like as much research as you can do to get to the real truth of it's kind of impossible unless you're you're in the government you know and you have that intelligence mm. and, and and things like that yeah and all those people in power they're, they're so compromised um did you have you ever seen yes minister have you ever watched any episodes of that yeah um when i was younger but i can't really remember any of it well there was a kind of a spiritual sequel which is the thick of it I imagine you've probably seen some of it. Uh, oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. what it was with yes minister it, it, it's strange to look back because I, I i watched all the episodes and I, I wrote a very long um essay if you want to call it that blog post on it it's absolutely fascinating because it's it's essentially a BBC comedy on mainstream TV in the 70s and 80s that's actually, in a way, laying out exactly why things never really change. Now, things do change. You know, Brexit has happened. 
I probably wouldn't have predicted that. Donald Trump got into office. I don't even think Donald Trump predicted that, honestly. I don't even think he wanted to be president. But no. <laughs> I just I just think he's probably like a, a bored uh, billionaire who loves himself a bit too much and thought oh, I'd be mm. fun to run for office. Anyway, but yes, Minister, yeah, it's a mainstream programme, but it's just laying out, it's essentially a battle between a sort of idealistic politician and the creaking civil service. And the civil service essentially works for both for whichever side is in power. So the mm-hmm. the top civil servant works for the Prime Minister, whether it's Margaret Thatcher or I was gonna to say Tony Blair, but he was very close to Margaret Thatcher. Let's take um, I don't know, Jeremy Corbyn if he'd become PM. So let's say somewhat ideologically different. And their whole thing is to do with um maintaining the status quo. And they have all these brilliant ways to do it, and they have these like ten thousand page documents. No one's ever gonna be able to read them, even even if you had the time. They're impossible to read. You know, and he says to the minister, it's really funny, they, they give the minister all these red boxes to read. Now, this is your homework for tonight. The minister's completely exhausted reading all this. And they said, oh, have you read the uh, have you read the document, minister? And he's like, oh, I read the first, like, 200 pages. Here's a one-page summary. <laughs> and essentially, like, the civil service is always one step or three steps ahead because they know how mm-hmm. this works. They know mm-hmm. how to keep things more or less the same. So I think the only people that might know the truth, I think, are too compromised to share it. That's one of the things kind of frustrating and sometimes quite fascinating about the world. You know, how does the world work? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, you're probably right. I mean, there's certain people that don't necessarily want to know, but, you know, I would argue that, let's say the conventional worldview, not only is the, does the conventional worldview tend to dominate, but people will leap on anyone who's got an alternative view and often get quite angry or they'll either like take the piss out of them or they'll start getting angry with them. And, I, and I've seen this, you know, let's uh, change tack a little bit. Let's, let's just talk about like general worldviews. Again, not necessarily connected to your paper, but I just, I'd love to know mm-hmm. your opinions anyway. It's a skeptical worldview that may or may not take in conspiracy theories or may is just skeptical. Do you think that's healthy or unhealthy? I think we say it quite a lot in the literature as well. There's healthy skepticism, right? Mm. Like, and that might come down to what I was saying earlier about the possible adaptive function of conspiracy believing, right? Mm. Like that it actually might benefit us. Mm. So, you know, as we said, it'd be naive to not have some level of skepticism, I think. And, you know, well, with the current government, like at the moment as well, like it's with a lot of the issues that have been going on, I mean, there's so much going on at the moment. It's hard to, oh. to keep track of, of a lot of the issues, but there yeah, was, of course. it was during the pandemic, obviously. And it was about, yeah, basically all of these deals that have been going on, all the contracts that have been given out by the government because of the pandemic, 36 billion pounds for test and trace and yes. all these other dodgy looking contracts that have been given out to, you know, what seems like friends or, or people mm. that are close to the ministers and, and, and uh, the government, basically. So, you know, you see all of this stuff and, you know, you can't help but be super sceptical of anything that they're going to do now, right? Yeah, uh, I really think you should um, be. Yeah. Think, in a sense, we all have a responsibility to because the powerful, and I don't believe in smoky rooms, I just think industrialists, you know, there's a revolving door. I'm sure you'd agree with this, you know. For example, let's take President Obama when he's gone out of office. He will probably have contracts already drawn up to be like an advisor or a speaker or something. Mm-hmm. So powerful people, they're definitely compromised. How do you mean Go by on. that, though? I mean, I, I don't see anything nefarious in... in I, that I would just expect for uh, Obama to have all of these people wanting to pay him to advise him because he was the President of the United States. Yeah, but what, it, what if the proviso for that was that he made sure that there was no legislation that went against their interests. 
well. I mean, that's Isn't kind that of wrong, speculating. I, I, yeah. I personally don't think Obama would be like that. <laughs> that's just my personal views. But you're kind of uh, suggesting that that's what's going to happen. But I, in, so in my mind, I would think that he would give advice. And if anyone was to pose to him, you know, something like, oh, I'll pay you this much. And as long as you try and not allow this thing to happen, then I think he would have a bit more integrity than to mm. accept these sort of offers, especially right. Obama. I've got a soft spot for him. <laughs> yeah, I think this is I think this is where we're gonna differ then. Yeah. And okay. I'm not saying you're wrong and I'm right. Absolutely not saying that at all. Uh-huh. But again, going by people I know who research this very much full time. I mean they they've they've found no not full time, but a lot. They would be able to give you evidence that that happens a lot, that legislation is compromised. Yeah. Don't, yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I was just picking on particular Obama uh, example. I do think that there are people who, who would take advantage of their high level status and, and you know, mm. th- that's what I mean. I'm not naive that um, in that no, no, I don't no, think no one would ever be like that. Mm. But as an example, it wouldn't be the example that I would have chosen to, as, a, as a politician who would be compromised. But unless you have something you want to let me know about that, <laughs> that I'm not aware of. Perhaps I'd choose him for a particular reason, because when he got in 2009, that was the time when I was very engaged. You know, mm-hmm. I, I would kind of had my finger much more on the pulse than I do now. But for example, you know, he, he got in on a platform of hope and change. And then almost as soon as he got in, it was clear that he wasn't going to do any of those things that he promised. Now, I understand perfectly politicians promise things because they have to try and get in. You know, it costs millions of pounds, millions of dollars to become president. And when you get in there, you're immediately compromised because your donors you know, a lot of that money would have come from top corporations. So you're immediately compromised in terms of legislation. But I'm just going to say that I, th- I think that it's sort of health, healthy in a way to realize that. Maybe not good for your personal health. Going back to something you said at the <laughs> beginning, I agree with you that you know, it can affect relationships. And perhaps yeah. I'm wondering whether there's even an, a, a sort of addiction. Maybe I've got an addiction to finding the truth. Maybe that's a problem for me. If I could flip that on its head, I don't think blind compliance is healthy. I agree. Um, that's what I mean. There is this like, you know, level way of being, you know, you mm. can have these, I don't think everything's working perfectly in the world mm. and that there aren't bad things that are happening, but I just, I do have a general tendency and it is mainly with the mainstream conspiracy theories, like I would say, and it's quite funny to say that mainstream, of course, um, yeah. but you know, and, and you know, it really comes down to it. Uh, uh, I think a lot of people who would like to disseminate conspiracy theories, yeah, I think you might agree that there's a lot of conspiracy type of information media out there that is definitely false. Like it's quite easy to see that it's false. And I think that, yeah, harnishes the actual theories themselves, you know, the sure. ones that maybe do have some legs on them, right? Mm. That actually, you know, that might turn out to be true one day. Mm. But there is just so much out there that, you know, it gives conspiracy theories and, and theorizers like a, a bad name, right? And I just think that is, yeah, just I see so much of that content that I'm kind of just put off. That's my general tendency. But I mean, we've said that we, we have different views from the beginning. And oh, of course, and yeah, but there's no problem so. with that. I really appreciate you coming on the show. And mm. I'm not here to set you up. And I'm not I'm not trying to. And I, I think that thing with Obama, maybe that's that's an interesting point of difference. Because I, I was, in, you know, although I'm British, uh, I do believe that American politics is very important because there's a, you could almost broadly say there's a NATO worldview where Britain tends to follow America. You know, I teach a lot of French people, English, the French government tends to follow America. Australia tends to follow America. Mm -hmm. And I was Mm -hmm. just, I was actually 32 when he came in, but I I was 
perhaps the most wide-eyed 32-year-old you'd ever seen, you know. And I was kind of getting that feeling I was talking about earlier where uh, I'm getting some truth, finally, you know. And I, I was just so disappointed when, uh, when he actually came in and, I, you know, he started dropping drones on Pakistan and, you know, he didn't close Guantanamo Bay and, and he, said he, he said he would. Obama has actually prosecuted more whistleblowers than every other president before him. Mm. I don't know about Trump, to be honest. So uh, that was kind of my disappointment. Yeah, I was, but, I was disappointed with them things as well, actually. Yeah, no, I agree with yeah. them on them points, yeah. Mm. Yeah. You know, I, I do question whether it's good for my health. I totally agree with you. All I'd argue is that I, I consider myself something of a researcher, whereas mm-hmm. there are a lot of people out there, you know, and the people that you're talking about that, that just latch onto it. It's kind of like, um, you must have seen Life of Brian, right? Monty Python's Life of Brian. Mm-hmm. The whole comment about religion they got into a lot of trouble because it was supposed to be anti-Jesus. They said the whole point is people blindly following. So whether it's Jesus mm-hmm. or Brian, and one of the mm-hmm. classic lines, he says, yeah, you're all different. And they all shout together. <laughs> yes, we're all different. And they're all shouting it together. <laughs> yeah, 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 That's the hilarious thing about it. It's such a work of genius. Mm-hmm. Where should we go from here? Let's have a look. Ah, uh, yes. Um, if you don't mind me quoting Karen Douglas again, sorry to pick on her, but... Uh, I'd love to talk to her in the future, but she said belief in conspiracy theories correlates with believing the world is unjust. Now at present, I don't know what the latest statistic, but something like the 50 richest people in the world have the same wealth as the poorest half of the world. So Mm -hmm. 50 people have the same wealth as about three and a half billion people. Mm -hmm. And um, Mm -hmm. one of the things in Zeitgeist, and if you remember, do you remember John Perkins, uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman? Is that in the third one? Is the second one okay? I can only remember the third one in right. a little bit more detail because, um, that one I quite liked because it was, yeah, less making claims but just actually stating, like, uh, this is the way the world works. And it was actually, you know, and you said that they had actual experts on that one. And I, you know, I think Zeitgeist number three it does, I still think it has some flaws here and there, but mm. for the most part, I did quite like that one. And I really like the, the ending of three, I think it's addendum. Is that what was that number two? Addendum was the second one. Yeah. Okay. It's the third one then. Moving forward, right? Yeah. Moving forward. Yeah. And um, but yeah, I quite like the really idealistic uh, uh, solution to to it at the end. You know, mm. having a world um, resource-based economy. The, yeah. Yeah. Resource-based economy. Yeah. yeah. I mm-hmm. don't think for a second that Peter Joseph is naive. And by the way, there's a really his latest film is called Inter Reflections. Uh, okay. I, th- I think you'd really like that, especially on Vimeo. It's for you and the listeners. Mm-hmm. Inter Reflections is really good stuff. He's a fantastic filmmaker. Anyway, yeah, in, in Zeitgeist 2, this is uh, John Perkins' Confessions of an Economic Hitman. And he talks about how, and I think this is fairly well proven, you know, that American corporations and banks, they offer loans to third world countries and then they corrupt the leader. Marcos in the Philippines is the perfect example. And what happens is that all the money goes to the corporations for rebuilding. And then the leader also gets taken care of. And the people suffer because they get these loans that they're never going to be able to pay back, right? Now, again, just to answer Karen's point, that to me seems incredibly unjust. It kind of felt like she's perhaps almost pathologizing that worldview, that the world is unjust. I mean, the world is incredibly unjust. I mean, you wouldn't know it where I live. I actually have a discussion group, you know, it's a meetup group. We have really, really good discussions. But I'd say if you ask the average person here, they probably wouldn't tell you the world is unjust because they've done very well from the system yeah Yeah. there's that you got to factor in as well but uh you know i I think the world is incredibly unjust and uh whether it's good for me to think about that a lot is you know it's a big question Mm. but um 
just going to comment on that. So mm. I think that's a paper that Karen's done as well, looking at the belief in an unjust world and its relationship with conspiracy belief. Now, mm. I haven't looked at that paper in a long time, okay. so I can't remember the details of it. But just going off of what you were saying that, I mean, it seems like a bit of an obvious one, right? Like if you believe that the world is unjust, then you're more likely to believe in conspiracy theories because that's what conspiracy theories basically say, right? Mm. That the world is unjust, like there's governments doing this and, and that pharmaceutical companies taking advantage of people mm. so you know them too they just seem like they match pretty well but i guess the point is is that it's, if people have this view where they constantly are seeing the world as unjust that's the relationship there that it. links it with conspiracy belief because you know i think even people that aren't well researched in, or looking up world affairs i think a, a lot of people would understand that there's there is unjust things that happen in the world. You know, there, there, there is bad things that happen. But on the whole, you know, lives are improving. I know that it doesn't seem like that, but we are living longer. Mm. There's more wealth for people. And don't get me wrong, that's not equally distributed around the world. Yeah. You know, as you're saying, you just said you're fine in Kent, you know, like, and I think, mm. you know, there, but there will be pockets of people even in England that aren't doing well. So it's not, sure. it swings in roundabouts, right? But basically, um, Generally, the world is getting better. There's less wars, you know, world wars we're talking about. Obviously, there's there are wars going on. Yeah, yeah. But generally, the world is, and I, um, I can't think of any uh, stats to point at, but I have seen them before, so I can't think of what to say to go and have a look at. But I've seen that there, yeah, mm. measures of well-being in the world, and basically, yeah, less wars. So the world is getting better. So I guess that depends on your maybe maybe I don't have this unjust world belief, right? Mm. Um, you know, I do understand that there are unjust things going on in the world, but I don't think that that's the overall, you know, I feel like the world is kind of getting better. Maybe that's what our relationship means is um, it's for people who really just see the world as unjust and don't see many positives in it. Right? Yeah. But let me say, first of all, that I'm not in that bracket of the people in Kent who okay. are doing really well out of the system. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm hanging on. But uh, I, I was just saying yeah. that in my discussion group, you know, uh -huh. This is not the best place in the world to have that kind of discussion because people generally are, I mean, I'm renting an apartment, but yes. people have got their own fairly big house. You know, they're, they're not going to want to rock the system. I'm not knocking mm -hmm. them for that. Probably going to have to agree to disagree because I think one thing that's worrying me greatly is the rise of surveillance, you know, and some people don't care about that. Some people do. That, that That's one area that I'm very worried about. Mm -hmm. I just feel bureaucracy is creeping in and of, mm -hmm. we, we are finding a lot of our freedoms being eroded, but it happens so uh, gradually. You know, it's the boiling frog analogy is uh, well used. Like if you put mm. a frog in boiling, in boiling water, it will leap out, put it in cold mm. water and gradually turn it up, it'll boil. Probably wouldn't, in fact, mm. it would leap out at some point. But. <laughs> mm -hmm. A lot of people use that analogy, and mm. I don't really know the science behind it. I think maybe they would stay no. in, but... No, no, I don't, I, don't think, I don't think the science works. I think it would leap out. But the, okay. <laughs> if you got, if you got a really, I mean, you would imagine that. Yeah, if you got a really, uh, really compliant frog, it probably would stay mm -hmm. in. But now the idea okay. is that let's say if you looked at a screenshot of an internet page from ten mm -hmm. years ago, which I would, I would love to do. Maybe it's available mm -hmm. somewhere. I think mm -hmm. we'd be amazed how much more advertising there is, or how different it is. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's like if you, you know, if you don't, if you don't meet someone for ten years. And you yeah. see them and suddenly they've got gray hair or they're balding or whatever, you know, but we yeah. don't notice day by day. And what worries me greatly, you know, I remember being younger when there was no adverts on YouTube, 
and always just thinking oh this is just like amazing it's nice and free like but always had in my mind that surely this is just going to totally change at some point and yes. yeah and now look at it you know it's like yeah. now there's like two adverts now before you can watch your youtube video it's really annoying yeah it will slowly creep in where you can't skip them either it's coming yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But no, I agree with you. Like there's, there's no such thing as a free lunch, as they say, you know, there's always a price mm. and mm. just to have an internet connection and have access yeah. to all this, you know, you, you... I mean, it makes sense that they had to like monetize it at some point. Right. Cause mm. you know, as I was saying before there was any adverts on YouTube, I was thinking how on earth are you making money? Cool. How is Facebook making money? Mm. I mean, they were, I don't know, through some means, but mm. it wasn't going to sustain them, especially if they're going to have 3 billion people on their platform, which I think Facebook is near. Yeah, because pe people think that advertising doesn't work as well. But my my argument mm. is, uh, I mean, you'll know this, I'm sure, subliminal advertising is much more potent, I think, than in-your-face advertising. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't think people see a picture of a hamburger or, or something in the street and then rush off to McDonald's, but it sticks no. in your head, you know, it's it's... Subliminal advertising is, is a really, really fascinating topic. I mean, it's amazing and it's so, so subtle. But um, yeah, something just popped in my head, actually. When we were talking earlier about being sceptical of the world and that sort of perhaps is a fine line between, it's like one man's sceptic is another man's paranoid. You know, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. That kind of idea where you could be labeled as something that's unhealthy, where you think it's healthy. Let me give you an example. If you just said, I don't know, five to 10 years ago that Facebook is almost there to take our data, like we're giving all yeah. our data away, you probably would have been written off as paranoid. But if you ask the average person, I think they would probably accept that. Would you agree with that? As in that's their main interest is to take your uh, data one away? Of the, one of their main, not not take your data I away. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely gather data, the, gather data. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it helps to, yeah. I mean, it informs their business now right like mm. uh the algorithms and things like that so i'd say it's definitely a main part of their business is now collecting our data yeah, yeah. i would say yeah. that you know mm. i think they just use that to improve their service that they have you know the more that they know about their users the more that they can tailor the experience i know i'm so, I probably sound like a, i'm working for facebook here now. <laughs> but yeah. i mean what is the issue with this then do you think where, where does it become like something bad uh, because it's gradually eroding freedoms because our, our, our data is available. But how does it, I mean, I'm not sure how that would affect I call that an invasion of privacy. Freedom. I call it an invasion okay. of privacy, basically. Okay. And a lot of things that are very convenient, you know, I mean, if you take a what mm. I would consider a relatively harmless thing, like your YouTube feed brings you up stuff, videos of your interests. Suggested. Your inter yeah, suggestions, yeah. Mm. sorry. Yeah, yeah. That's the word mm. I was looking for. Mm. But, I think also convenience is used almost to increase surveillance. And if you take, sorry, it's such a huge topic, microchip technology and things like that. I mean, mm -hmm. quote unquote, conspiracy theories were talking about that 10 to 20 years ago that, you know, we might end up in the end with a, a microchip under our skin. Not sure I believe that, but microchip technology is in passports. It's in things like that. Yeah. I'm just saying uh -huh. that, that that's quite a concern for me. And, and I also my belief with corporations, and I think this is a fact, corporations are essentially there to make profits. Now, I totally agree with that. Does that mean the people in corporations are all evil? No. But, you know, if, let's take, I don't know, Jeff Bezos, for example. He has unimaginable wealth, okay? But have you seen the, the, the videos or the testimonies of Amazon factory workers? I haven't seen the videos, but I've heard mm. some, yeah, pretty horrible things. 
about yeah. their working conditions and not just the factory workers, but also drivers as well, having to yeah. go to toilet in bottles instead of stopping you know, yeah. to go to a toilet because they need to get all these deliveries out. Uh, yeah, I'm aware of their overwork. Amazon stuff, yeah. yeah, and I just I just refuse to believe that Jeff Bezos couldn't do something about it if he really wanted to. Mm. That's all I'm saying. Mm. Mm. I think it's not that he's evil. I don't think Bill Gates is evil. I don't think Steve Jobs is evil. But I think, again, to use a, a very old uh, proverb, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Can we do like a takeaway from this conversation? Like, mm-hmm. Perhaps if you want to mm-hmm. give a, like a, a message about conspiracy theories, and I'll give my message. Yeah, we can do. Mm. I would just say that it's not naive to think that there are bad things that happen talking governments as well and not just governments in different countries you know even at home you know the united kingdom here or businesses but you just uh, my take home would really be then if you are doing your own research and that term gets used a lot right i'm doing my own research i do research totally as well agree, myself yeah. that's what doing a phd is, is i do research but Absolutely. maybe the way i do research is going to be different to how you do research or other conspiracy theorizers or conspiracy researchers, if that's what's the term. Mm. Just really, really, you know, look at the sources that you're using and just seeing if they are credible sources. That's the most important thing, right? Like, because you can't base your claims and your arguments off of evidence that's come from a source that isn't reliable, right? So, you know, if you are going to do your own research, make sure that source is reliable, because if you're going to try and you know convince me of it, I'm going to look to that source, and if it's not credible, then I'm not going to. You're not. You're not going to convince me. Yeah, I mean, first of all, yeah. Just to make clear, I wasn't trying to convince you today. I've just no. I think we've had a nice discussion. We found some points of agreement and points of disagreement, which is great. My takeaway, which would just be uh, old news to my audience, I just think that there is a hell of a lot that's gone on in history and is happening right now that you will not find on the nightly news. Or on, um, uh, let's say, if you're in England, BBC and Sky, if you're in America, CNN, there's an incredible amount that's going on in the world that you won't see covered there. And if it is covered, it will probably be covered in a disparaging way. So that's my takeaway to you and my audience. And um, I think be sceptical. I agree with you that you shouldn't harm your health. You shouldn't do it to the point where you're going to get estranged from your family and estranged from your friends. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you do research this quite a bit, you might find some people drift out of your life, but I don't think your best friends, if they're really your best friends, they're probably going to stick with you and, and you know, accept that's what you're doing with your time mm. or whatever. Mm. And, you know, again, let me make it clear. You're absolutely right. When people say research, some people take that as watching YouTube videos. I get that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Totally. You know, mm-hmm. watching Zeitgeist mm-hmm. is not research. It's yeah, watching an entertaining sure. film that has some elements of truth and some stuff that's very hard to prove. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, spend loads of time i wish i could probably spend a bit more and i don't spend it in a sort of paranoid delusional world i'm just for one i'm very curious and um mm-hmm. you know i i just want to learn about the world and learn about myself mm. you know I, I i'm very interested in personal psychology as well so um anyway i just want to say thank you very much for doing this and um good luck with everything thank you so much this has been a really good conversation and especially with our you know somewhat different views but i think that's that's what's made this a great conversation so that's been good and i hope everything goes well for you as well thanks for having me on you're welcome